You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. If you guys could slowly start bringing it in, little by little, the fellowship will subside. Everyone will peacefully find their seats, and then we'll get ready to start what hopefully will be above subpar lesson today. I love the fellowship. It's pretty encouraging to see. I'm not going to lie. I think we could probably do that at least for another hour, don't you think so? I do, I do. That's the reason why I like this place. Usually the Holy Spirit worketh, right? In any case, good morning, guys. How are we doing? We're okay? Don't let that, you know, semi-cold weather fool you, right? It's warm in here, in this house of the Lord. Amen. It's good to see everybody, guys. We are continuing. We're almost done with the uh, 40 days of prayer. We're getting pretty close. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe mixed feelings. Maybe really excited. Maybe like, hey, I've learned what I've learned. It's time to start something different. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and to Rudy's point, you know, definitely appreciate, brother, just sharing from a vulnerable, vulnerable place. Um, so much power in prayer. So many things that God is doing as a result of prayers as we spent these past, uh, you know, two months or so uh, digging in this book. Before I get in the lesson, though, I do have a couple things. I'm not sure what that is. Just ignore that one. But we do have uh, some updates. The Marichis, uh, this is their flight on the way to uh, Turkey. And so they're spending some time in the Middle East. They send their love and regards. Uh, they'll be back on the 30th. So on WhatsApp, if you want to message them, feel free. They definitely appreciate those. Uh, I have another little special update. This is a cool little one. Uh, we started a pickleball ministry. I don't know if you're aware of this. And this is for all ages. So it doesn't matter if you're a teen or you're an elder statesman, all are welcome to play some pickleball. It's going to be a lot of fun. It already began. Yeah, you can clap that up. That is fine. <laughs> clap up. Community connections and building unity within the body, yes. Uh, so we have uh, Richard Kim was uh, helping that up. Andras was another uh, fine gentleman that had, I think it was the genesis of this idea. So we're looking forward to seeing what God does uh, through it. This, is, this was the uh, inaugural event, if you will, this past Saturday. Uh, so a lot of fun. Where's, what's the location again? Ernie Hallett Park. Okay. So they're going to do that uh, every, uh, it's going to be a bi-weekly thing every Saturday, so it's going to be pretty fun. Uh, I do have another little special announcement. Switching gears. My, yes, yes. Darius Julio Butler turned 10 yesterday. So, and he won his basketball game too, so that was pretty encouraging. And he did well, and he did well. Um, for all the parents in the room, you're, you know, you have these nostalgic moments where you're like, oh yeah, I remember when they were 10, yeah. and now they're, you know, 35, or, you know, have a mortgage, things like that. But uh, I am cherishing these moments as they go along, for sure. Um, before I get into this last one, my uh, mom's here as well, so say hi to, say hi to Jim. <laughs> my wife's here too, and my kids, so I love them as well. They're just busy elsewhere. Hey, amen. It's all mama. This was last night. So if you can see this, this is our, uh, 
weekly basketball league through all the uh, nine regions in the church. Uh, I think that game was Lighthouse and, the next one, Lighthouse and OC. I believe OC did win. Um, really encouraging. So I just want to encourage you guys, if you have time on a Saturday, anytime between 5 and 9 p.m., probably 9.45, we're being honest how long goes. Uh, love for you guys to check it out. The South Bay Waves are undefeated. The South Bay Waves. So we had, we had Richard Kim knocking down a crossover in a three. Uh, I had, we had Andrew Desario doing a fake pass and a layup, getting like seven points. Now, it, it was a lot of fun. Ryan Winkler's representing out there as well. Taishi, uh, Ben hurt his ankle, but he was playing with us for a little bit. Uh, Josh, who's in Florida. Who am I missing? Uh, Jalen, I guess Jalen. We can mention Jalen, you know, throwing a team here. I saw that blown layup. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not happy with that one. Uh, they said two blown layups. <laughs> Leave it to your family to always talk trash first, right? Uh, Owen Thomas came out of retirement from a 20-year hiatus. And played as well. I didn't, I didn't share all this because, it, you know, it correlates to 40 days because it's an answer prayer. And so, again, this took five months to, to put into work a lot of prayer, and God blessed it. And I shared before, there is haterade when you try to do things like that, um, but the spirit worketh, Amen. and prayers are powerful. So I just want to share it with you guys. Uh, I appreciate Rudy praying for me, but I will also pray for this lesson as well because I think we're going to need it today. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us to be together. We thank you so much for the, for the amazing Father that you are. You're patient, you're kind, you're merciful, you're gentle. You guide and direct us in such a way, God, as, as a mother gently guides her young. We appreciate moments like this. We're able to be together. Help us, God, to learn from your word. Help us to be inspired by the fellowship. Allow us to be encouraged, convicted, the whole gamut of whatever is required from our time today so we can draw closer to you and closer to one another. Thank you so much for this time. Praise in Jesus' most holy and perfect name. Church said, amen. Amen. All right, so 40 days of prayer. I don't know how you feel about the, the large LCD screen that you've become uh, highly dependent on today, but we're not going to use it as much today. Okay, you might actually use your phone or the old Bible. So if you have a large LCD screen addiction today, it's going to be minimal in terms of usage, all right? So get, get ready to uh, bust out your phone or use the old paperback in that case. And if you're wondering what 40 days, does anybody wonder what 40 days of prayer is this your first time? You can raise your hand. It's okay. I won't judge you. Okay, so it seems like most of this room is aware. All right. So it's been a lot of fun going through the program, right? Or I should say program. I should just say it really an experience working with Kit. Um, what I want to share a little bit today <coughs> is on the uh, persistent widow. And so in Luke 18, it's a passage that we're, I, I'd say, largely familiar with. Um, there's certain tidbits about it, whether it's just the illustration itself or the application that I want to dig into tonight, uh, today, I should say. And hopefully, you know, we can glean from it um, that persistence that we see uh, from the widow herself. So let's dig in. Luke 18. We're going to start on Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And I'll give you a brief second. I do hear some pages, so there's at least like five paperback Bibles in the room today. <laughs> there's something to be said, you know? Like we said before, it's, it's, it's the book of life, not the iPad of life. Luke 18, verse 1 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. 
He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All right, so we have a judge. What kind of judge is this guy? How would you describe him? What's the first word that comes to mind? Ready, go. We've got to raise our hands because if you guys all talk at once, this isn't going to work. I'm sorry. I heard something over here. we got... Conceited. Uncaring. Faithless. Mean. Anyone else? One more. Selfish, right? This is a gentleman, if you have, you know... A shame, it's kind of an honor and a shame culture society, right? Middle East, a lot of places. Uh, this gentleman has no shame. He'd care less what God thinks or what anyone else thinks. He's a judge, so if you're in a town, let's say like a small town, you might have one judge, right, that, that uh, deals with civil cases. Um, a lot of times people will go to the city gate, right? So you go to the city gate, and then you have this arbitration that takes place there. If it's Jerusalem and it's a big city, you're going to have multiple judges, now, he's likely a judge on a local level. He's not a judge that's uh, involved in national affairs in terms of, like, interpreting the law, kind of more the bigwigs. He's this local guy, and he holds a lot of power. Think about this. I mean, he's determining people's fates. Now, the widow, what's her lot? If you're a widow in a male-dominated society, uh, how are you doing when no one can present your case but you? She didn't have one man, which it was needed. If you went to the city gate, if you went to the local courts, that's a male-dominated area. She had to go by herself. So that tells you what about her? She's persistent. She's determined. But what about her current lot? What about her current state, economically and otherwise? Low level. She's hurting. She's the dregs of society. She has no help. She has no one to plead her case. She's lonely. She's hurting. She wants justice. She wants it now. Jesus sets up this story, and it's one that you could easily relate to, especially in that time. They had a lot of judges, right? They had judges that were in charge of cases, and it wasn't uncommon to have judges that were unjust. There was a saying in Jerusalem at the time. They would change one word of the Hebrew or the Aramaic that I can't properly do, and uh, maybe I'll let Devin do it later. But the idea of a judge and a robber were very closely correlated. They put them together. As a joke, judge, robber, he's going to cheat you. Everybody knows it. He takes bribes. So for these people at this time, this is a very easy-to-see example in their lives. Second Chronicles in 19, verses 4 through 7, don't turn there. If you were a judge at this time, you should be, as the people of the book, as they were, 
you'd be familiar with the passage like this. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Here's a key point. He appointed judges in the land in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, Consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord, who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now fear the Lord, now the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for what the Lord our God, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. This gentleman would have been taught a passage like this. He would have been familiar with a scripture like this. But he had no shame. He could care less what the scripture said. He could care less what people said. This is a situation where her back's against the wall, and it's her by herself, and she pleads her case. This illustration gives you an example of someone that, for all intents and purposes, would not ever receive what they desired, save for the, the grit, determination, the fight, the will to see a judge make a decision in her favor. When we look at this passage, it also mentions the idea in verse 8 that there's like kind of like an eschatological, you know, I think I said that word wrong, but there's an end times kind of portion to it, right? It says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth, right? So it's not just about being persistent in prayer. There's also this notion that we want Jesus to come back, that we want to speed his coming, as the scripture says, that he will return. And when he does return, will he find faith on the earth? Forty days of prayer, going through this, you know, this course together, this time together, one of the most exciting things I've seen about it for my life and other people's lives is the fact that this mustard seed is growing. Yeah. It's growing amidst all the turmoil and challenges that have been presented, whether it's for our church and our personal lives the past several months. God is working. And it's fitting because it's usually the times that seem the darkest, the times that seem the bleakest, the times that seem the most kind of uncertain in respect to what's going to happen, that God works the most. He grabs a people with a mustard seed of faith, a mustard seed of faith, but they're persistent, and they don't give up, and they fight in prayer. We can all think of situations in our life that did not come to fruition, and we have one or two choices. We can hang our head, we can get bitter, or... We can get better. We can fight for the things that we want to see God work in our lives. We can continue in prayer. I love Rudy sharing because like, it's the childlike faith where I just believe. I just believe that God is going to work. I just believe that irrespective of everything I've experienced, every, irrespective of everything I'm going through at this moment, all my emotions tell me one thing, but my God in heaven tells me another and that's what I'll hold on to. That's what I believe. That's what I will not let go. Because I know the one who said it. And the one who said it is true. He's loving. He's honest. And his promises never fail. That's the faith that he wants us to have. Because the one who makes the promises is faithful. That's what I love about God. This world is wild. 
Before Jesus comes back, we will see and continue to see, at least in our own society, a, a continual push away from anything remotely Christian. And I'm very curious as time passes, as generations pass, probably, you know, that long after me, where this, how far this goes to the point that being a Christian, people already don't like it. (laughs) If you hear the term Christian and you're not in church, what's your first thought? Homophobic? Right? What else? Fill in the blank. Intolerant? What else? Judgmental? Self-righteous? There's a lot of monikers that are thrown out there. In our society, the truth is, it's only going to get worse. And we, I think we know that deep down, right? And so what do we do in the interim? Judge society and point our fingers? Tell everybody they're wrong? Let me show you what the truth is? I don't think that works. But you know what I think works more than anything else? When men and women of God start to pray. Men and women of God start to pray simple, heartfelt prayers. And think about it for yourself. The times when you saw your life change the most, more often than not, it wasn't necessarily here. Might have been. But I know for myself, a lot of my experiences where God moved powerfully, where I felt an addiction leave me, or I just felt my heart shift in amazing ways that I wouldn't have otherwise, it was by myself. It was in my room. It was at the beach, crying out to God, singing way off key, like the type of key that doesn't even exist. You know, there's octaves. (laughs) And I'm not even anywhere on the range. Like, but my heart's there. And you see God work in ways that you can only point to as him. And in times of weakness, in times of uncertainty, in times of difficulty, in times of stress, God is waiting. He is waiting. He's like, please, just, just say something. Give, give me a mustard seed. Give me anything to work with. All we have to do is literally open our mouth and utter whatever it is. And God's like, yes, that's what I've been waiting for. Now watch what I do with this little mustard seed of faith. Watch the exponential increase in your life and lives of others. And I'm not saying prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you're just going to get a bunch of lotto victories in the next week. But what I am saying, I'm still going to pray. But what I am saying, I am saying is that we're able to advance the kingdom of God in our lives and the lives of others. That's something that is worth praying for. It's worth praying for the hearts of men to shift and to change in such a way that they're more uh, disposed to the love and the truth of God. That's worth fighting for in our lives, in our kids, in our spheres of influence at work, in church, wherever you are. My prayer for the South Bay Church is that we become a church that lives by reckless faith, a faith that is scary, a faith that says, my God, my God can do anything. And he chooses to use broken vessels like us so he can get the glory. I know I'm jacked up. There there is no... In terms of sober judgment, like Romans 12, I know exactly who I am before God. And it's a lot of a hot mess. But because, and this is what I think, because I know who I am, I do. I know exactly who I am. And I know that I can't do 99.9 of the things that I asked for. But you know what that does for me personally? It makes me more desperate for him. 
It does. I can't lead a people in such a way that truly honors God, but I know he can. I know I can't come up here and have this eloquent soliloquy or whatever it is, or sermon or otherwise, oration that just blows people's minds and makes them fall more in love with God. But I know he can. I know that my God can work in ways by a mustard seed of faith. In a mustard seed of faith that will literally change the world. What do you want to see for the South Bay Church? What do you want to see in your own walk? When you start praying these type of prayers, you know what will follow it subsequently based on James 2? You guessed it, action. You'll start doing more. And this is where you can kind of get a gauge for where your faith is at. The times where I do the least, I'm usually in the most kind of doubt-filled, faithless situation in my own heart because I don't believe that God can do anything because of my past hurts and experiences, so why would I put myself out there? I did before. I got burned. So if I do that again, and then I get burned again, see, I was right. My self-fulfilling prophecy has, is correct. But the scriptures are still true. God still works. So we have a choice to make. It's a scary one, but from a faith-based perspective, I can't see any other decision to make aside from the fact to put ourselves out there and to see what God does, to elicit those vulnerable prayers, to have these conversations with God that are extremely uncomfortable at times, and to see what he does with them. The persistent widow, she's talking to a man who could care less that she even exists. He has no fear of God. He has no shame. He's taking bribes. But because she keeps annoying me, I'll see that she gets justice. She gets exactly what she wants. Is that our vision of God? Do we see God as this judge, this self-righteous judge that's just going to lightning bolt us the second we do wrong? I don't think most of us see that or feel that about God. There's times we might. There's times you might feel ashamed. There's times you might feel like God should punish me. But it's in those moments that God's like, I have the, the idea of discipline you never even crossed my mind. I, I, I'm not thinking the way, I don't see what I see when I look at you. I see my sons and daughters who I want to so desperately bring out of different situations, who I want to bring glory to my name, who I want to have impact wherever they are planted to truly grow and to bear fruit. This is the God that we serve. I hope that there's some measure of encouragement for you this morning because it's not about the judge. It's about our persistence. As Jacob wrestled with God, we should wrestle with God as well. We don't let God go until he blesses us. We fight for the things we want. We do, right? And what do we really want? Sometimes I just want Netflix. And I just can't wait to watch it. I'm like, man, this binge is going to be great. It's late. My kids are asleep. I'm going to have these two hours to myself. Can't wait. Right? That's about pretty much my primary indulgence in this planet, aside from, like, ice cream. But whatever it is. But how about we indulge a little bit in prayer? You know, I found out something as we're going through the 40 days about myself, that I can be so busy that waking up very early or just starting my day with prayer can feel like 
another item on my to-do list in that I don't necessarily have time for it. Ooh, the minister said that. Yeah, he did. You can get so busy with doing good, you can forget it. <laughs> you can, we can forget to connect to the one who is good. That's one of my revelations I've had about myself. And so as I've gone through that, I'm like, wow. And I do pray throughout the day. I talk to God, I talk to God all the time. But I'm like, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm putting on my armor early in the morning. I want to make sure that I'm making connection. I want to make sure that that, you know, plug in to the Holy Spirit is always set. So that was, you know, that was one of my revelations. Another revelation I had going through this 40 days was I, until this time with Kit, wasn't praying nearly enough for the things that I wanted to see God do. They're kind of like a whisper. You know what I mean? Like, I had these thoughts in my heart that, oh, yeah, I would like to see that. But I was, like, definitely afraid to put it down on paper, let alone be consistent in praying about it. Right? So hopefully, you know, and this I feel now, I feel a lot, a lot bolder with respect to the things that I want to see God do. And I already had a lot. I did. But it was like, okay, am I actually verbalized? Because the scripture says, you know, I believe, therefore I speak. Right? If I believe, then I speak. If I don't really believe, then I might just keep a lot of things to myself when it comes to our relationship with God. And so that was a good, that was a good like, lesson for me, if you will, to consider about uh, these 40 days of prayer. Now, when I also consider the, the reason for all this and digging into communion, I want to share a little bit. If we can, there it is. I want to take a little more time in communion today. Sometimes we do communion as like a bookend to our sermons. And so I just want to spend a little more time in communion, switching gears. When I think about motivation, um, I've shared a little bit of my testimony before. Um, I'll share a little bit about today. When I was uh, about 15, and this is, I don't know where you come on the realm of like spiritual experiences or supernatural experiences. Um, when I was about 15, I started having maybe four to five nights a week intense like demonic dreams. Um, it was, most people would define it as sleep paralysis. And the only reason why I knew it wasn't sleep paralysis is because when I uh, prayed to God in desperation, the dream would magically end like that. So it went from, like, I feel pressure in my chest to I feel like something literally trying to, like, take my spirit from my body uh, to, to sometimes I heard, them, I heard, like, demonic forces speak to each other. Um, once I cried out to God, help me, dream over. And so this was the genesis of my, I would say, belief in the supernatural in terms of heaven and hell, demons and angels, uh, you know, that there's a real spiritual battle. I, was, I wasn't raised in church per se. I went to church here and there. I was raised Catholic. But I didn't, nothing really clicked, right? I even did confirmation for, for Catholicism, and I still felt guilty every Sunday. Because, <laughs> like many of us, we, we're living this double lives, right? You go to church on Sunday, you know, I'm semi-righteous for one hour, and then what happens the other, you know, 160 hours a week, what are you doing? And so that was a, a, a good portion of my life. And I felt this guilt build up for about two and a half years, from about 15 to 18, because now my spiritual awareness has increased, right? Because before, I could just, you know, drink, party, do these different things that teenagers do, and not bat an eye. Now, I'm thinking about Jesus every single time. Now, I'm thinking about God. Now, I'm thinking about that he has these righteous requirements for me, 
and I'm not remotely close to living them out. What the prevailing thought though got me with the most, which is interesting, because it was definitely from God, was that he loved me. My God in heaven, ooh, get emotional. Oh, man. Hey. Ooh, I didn't expect this one to hit. <laughs> ooh, God, ooh. It's a good one, it's a good one. He loves me. He loves me. And all he wanted the entire time was for me to love him back. Not just in word, but in deed. In my heart. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. (laughs) No matter how hard I tried, I fell short. I couldn't live the life that God wanted me to live. It didn't matter my best efforts or for not. I kept on falling back into immorality or drunkenness or whatever it was, you know, cussing and swearing like a sailor. I couldn't change. Maybe you go like six months. Like six months. I could not, you know, drink for six months or I could try not to be immoral for a couple weeks or like whatever. My best efforts, I started reading the Bible. I started going to church uh, every Sunday. Yeah, I read the Bible three days a week. I started praying more. I prayed Jesus in my heart. It didn't work, you know, newsflash, if you've experienced that before. Um, I wasn't taught. I wasn't taught what it meant to actually be a follower of Jesus until my freshman year at San Diego State, I met someone from our fellowship of churches that, that probably after like week three, and we sat down and we went through the scriptures. And whatever you want to say about our study series, especially circa 2001, the scriptures changed my heart. The word of God worked. And I was baptized a month later after starting to study. I share this with you because the cross of Christ, when I felt powerless, I felt powerless. And I'll, I'll share this scripture real quick. Some of you are familiar with um, Romans 7, verse 18. It says, you can just listen. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I felt delivered for the first time in my life. For the very first time in my life, I felt like, if you read Romans 7, it talks about this war, right? Romans 8 talks about the victory in the spirit and life in the spirit. 
and how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that now you have the, the ability through the cross, through Jesus Christ, to live a righteous life. Not perfect. Far from perfect. But you're able to see victories through the cross. You're able to see a, a when everywhere you look is a natural state of entropy. Everything is degrading, our bodies included. Right? I, I, I want a smaller waistband, but I don't have it yet. <laughs> through all of that, you can see this, this growing, elevating faith in our hearts. This spirit that is slowly becoming more like Jesus because of the cross of Christ. If you lack motivation for prayer, I would submit to you to go back to this. When you take communion this morning, as the scriptures discuss, reflect. Reflect deeply on what the cross means to you. Not in guilt, the shame, feeling like, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm never going to measure up. We never measure up. You're not supposed to measure up. You're supposed to go to him. And as you go to him, rejoice. Take solace in a father who loves you and look forward to all the ways that God will work in your life and our fellowship here. Let us pray for communion. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us, God, the way that you do. We thank you through Jesus Christ that we could have a salvation that we could never achieve in and of ourselves. That we could have a sanctification, therefore, going forward through your Holy Spirit to allow us to walk with you in truth. To give us a direction that's only from you that moves upward. That one day we may see your face. We thank you so much for Jesus, for the body that was broken, for the blood that was shed. Help us, God, to reflect deeply on the sacrifice that was made in love and appreciation for what you've done. Help us, to God, to live lives worthy of the calling that we've received. Help us to live as living sacrifices for you. Help us, God, to pray bold prayers as a result of what you've done for us. We love you, God, and praise in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.